Hey bosses, this week's sponsor is FreshBooks, the easy-to-use cloud accounting software. FreshBooks is offering a 30-day unrestricted free trial to our listeners. To claim it, just go to freshbooks.com slash invest and enter invest like a boss in the how did he hear about us section. Welcome to the Invest Like a Boss podcast. I'm Sam Marks. And I'm Johnny FD. We're self-made entrepreneurs who invest our own money and use modern technology to invest like a boss. Join us each week for exclusive interviews with our network of modern investors, business owners, and multimillionaires to discover new ways to invest our hard-earned cash. Hey guys, it's Johnny and welcome to episode 63 of the Invest Like a Boss podcast. I'm here with Sam Marks. What's up? What's up, bosses? Welcome back. And this week, we have something brand spanking new for you. We have back on one of everyone's favorite guests, Brett Owens, who we had on back in episode 33 talking about REITs. And now we got him back on to kick off a new format that we're excited to introduce called Guest Host, where basically we are on bringing back a previous guest and we're having them interview one of the smartest people they know. So here it is. We're excited for it. What do you think, Johnny? Yeah, I think it's super cool because if you guys haven't listened to episode 33, that was all about REITs and we were really excited about kind of income producing investments, either things that you know provided uh, investments in, in di- with returns with dividends or some kind of payments. And Brad was like, well, I know a really smart guy that knows all about CEFs, which is closed end funds, something I never heard about. You know, I've heard of uh, actually, well, to be fair, I never even heard of ETFs until a few years ago, and that really <laughs> changed my life. So I was really excited to kind of hear more about that. And instead of us, you know, interviewing Michael, we thought it'd be how cool would it be if we can get you know Brett to to interview him. And I mean, imagine that. Imagine if all every single one of our guests, all the the smartest people that that we know, interviewed the smartest people they know. How much value and information we can pass down to you guys. And that's the concept. And I think this is going to be a great first episode. Actually, I know it's an awesome first episode. And when we had Brett back on in episode 33, you know, it was our first time really diving into REITs, but that's been one of our top three episodes of all time. And I think it's because, you know, REITs is something that everyone has heard about, but most people don't really know how they really operate or how to value them. And on that episode, Brett really shook it up, just analyzing some of my REIT investments and giving us some of his own. And I know a lot of our listeners went out and followed that advice. And if they did, all those REITs have performed very well uh, today. I know I have a lot of them in my portfolio. And close-end funds, when the funny thing is, when I originally reached out to Brett about doing this, he's like, oh, we'll do one on CEFs. So I'm like, oh, I got to go look up that term. What's a CEF, right? But since then, since I've heard him, uh, uh, since they, they, they said they wanted to do that, the episode on that, we had on MJ DeMarco, who was talking about buying municipal bond CEFs. Uh, and then when I was in Barcelona, I was talking to these guys that were also buying CEF funds. So, you know, once you start hearing these things in an intellectual context and start understanding them, all of a sudden you start hearing these terms that you never would have picked up on before, but now you have understanding of them and it all starts to tie into each other. Yeah, I, I love it. I know you guys are going to be excited to take a listen to this episode, learn more about CEFs, and stay tuned to the end for me and Sam to come back on and discuss everything that we learned. So without further ado, here we have Brett Owens and Michael Foster. Hey bosses, if you're a freelancer or a small business owner, you need to check out FreshBooks cloud accounting software. I've used them personally and love how easy it was to set up both reoccurring expenses and invoices that automatically send out so you can get paid on time without wasting your time. 
So what does that actually mean? That means that if you're like me and you hate going in every single month to fill out spreadsheets or submit expenses and you just often forget about it and have to deal with a huge mess down the road, you can just do it once and have it all set up automatically. Even better, you can do the same for sending out invoices to get paid on time without even thinking about it. To help you get started, FreshBooks is offering a 30-day unrestricted free trial to our listeners. To claim it, just go to freshbooks.com slash invest and enter invest like a boss in the how did you hear about us section. Thank you, Sam and Johnny. And uh, this is Brett Owens here back from uh, episode 33. As these guys mentioned, we talked about recession-proof REITs at that time. So looking at ways to invest in real estate through the stock market. So looking at real estate investment trust, ways to get cash flow into our portfolios with high yields, but kind of taking that contrarian approach so that we're buying stuff when it's out of favor uh, so that not only is our downside maybe limited on these uh, buys that we make, but also we've got some upside with prices. So we're going to uh, have a, a another uh, cash flow, high yield focus episode today. And I'm bringing on actually one of uh, my colleagues, we call him the CEF uh, professor, Michael Foster is his name. And uh, Michael is our uh, foremost expert in uh, what we call close-in funds. Uh, so it's a little uh, niche area of the high yield sector. A lot of uh, investors maybe have heard of, but are not too familiar with. But like REITs and with other stocks, you can buy them from the convenience of your online brokerage account. So you type in the tickers, they've got prices, they've got regular dividends that they are paying out. So that's the attractiveness of this sector. As with other sectors, as with the REITs we talked about last time, there are some great investments and there are also some real dogs that we want to make sure we avoid here as well. So we're going to bring on Michael, talk about the sector in general, and then I want to uh, get his thoughts on uh, some specific picks, including some articles that he's recently written for our site over on uh, contrarianoutlook.com, where we focus on uh, high-yield stuff today. So Michael, welcome. Thank you for joining us. Thank you very much. I'm going to have to have everyone call me Professor Michael from now on. I like that. (laughs) Professor Michael, that's right. And then uh, Professor Michael, so coming to us from uh, Bangkok, Thailand, is that right? Yes, indeed. I'm I'm one of those uh, annoying people known as a digital nomad, and I've been doing this on and off for about four years now. So uh, it's one of the things that I like about closed-end funds. It's one of the things uh, that's really great about high-yield investing is that it makes it makes it possible kind of to quit your day job and uh, get a uh, large enough flow of income coming in to allow you to travel the world. Uh, that's basically how I started doing this a few years ago. And uh, so I've uh, kind of become an evangelist since then. I really believe in this as, as a way to kind of escape the rat race and really take advantage of the um, income opportunities that a lot of people just don't know are out there. Yeah, so let's talk about those income opportunities because um, if I'm listening to this or I'm talking to you, what I'm thinking is if I want to live off dividends alone from the classic uh, standpoint. We, we know the S&P doesn't even pay 2% today. Uh, a lot of the uh, tried and true dividend aristocrats, uh, they might pay 25 3%. That's a lot of cash you need uh, to be able to get meaningful income off of those dividends. I mean, we're probably looking at 3 4 $5 million until you've got any sort of meaningful income. So with your CEF strategy, what types of dividends are you looking at first? And then secondly, since we know there, there, there are no free lunches out there, how is it possible then that we've, uh, we're getting those types of yields as well? Where exactly are, are, are they coming from in terms of the cash flow from the funds themselves? 
Yeah, those those are two really important questions. And uh, the reason why I like closed-end funds is that they offer high yields and tend to have safer dividends than a lot of high yield alternatives because of the really strange kind of unusual way that closed-end funds are structured, which is fundamentally different from mutual funds and ETFs. So the average CEF yields right now 6.4%, which sounds very, very high. Um, and it is, but actually some uh, closed-end funds, some of the ones that I prefer, yield much more. Uh, some yield um, over 10% even, although most of the ones that I prefer at the moment are yielding around 7 to 8%. Um, and so to ask, uh, how is that possible? Again, it's a very good question because, of course, if you try to, you know, withdraw 8% from, you know, a common stock portfolio, you're more likely than not going to run out of money unless, and this is very important, unless you're getting a 7 to 8% return. If you're getting a return on your investments that exceeds the amount of money you're taking out of the portfolio, you'll never run out of money. And so what closed-end funds try to do is to make that balance where the fund basically collects a ton of money from different investors, puts that in the market, and then tries to get a return that exceeds the dividend that's paid out. Some funds do it. Some funds have been doing that for over 10 years. One of my favorite funds um, has returned about 12% over the last decade. Uh, Some have returned over the last few years something like 20% while their dividends are more like 7 to 8%. So if you're able to do that, if you're able to make more money than you're paying out, then you should be able to sustain that dividend forever. Now it's important to remember that the S&P 500 historically has returned about 8%. So simply put, if you have a fund that can match the market performance and pay out that return over time, in theoretically, it should be able to pay its dividend forever. But it gets even better. And um, one of the great things I love about closed-end funds, which really ties into, you, Brett, you you have this uh, contrarian style that I very much like, where you try to buy when everyone else is selling and vice versa. This kind of strategy works really well with closed-end funds as well, because very often they trade at a discount to their net asset value. I don't know, do you want me to dig into that yeah, let's, get, let's get into that. Uh, I think that's a good uh, next point then. So let's talk about the um, structure of a closed-end fund. So I th- a lot of people are familiar with, of course, mutual funds, uh, exchange-traded funds or ETFs, um, closed-end funds. So where, where do they fit in the, in the picture? Um, and then, uh, as, you, as you mentioned, let, and then let's get into that discount in terms of uh, how that's how that's possible and how that's unique to uh, the CEFs. Okay. Okay. So basic way to think about it, closed-end funds kind of follow the same basic premise as a mutual fund or an ETF, where you get together a bunch of money from a bunch of different investors, and then you put all that money together into whatever asset class that fund is specializing in. So you have U.S. stock closed-end funds, U.S. stock mutual funds, where they take all this money together and invest it in U.S. U.S. stocks. You have um, funds that also focus on corporate bonds or REITs that um, you know you, you know a lot about, 
there are some that do more exotic things like covered call um, strategies. Some do MBSs, which you know, of course, really famous back in 2008, 2009 for uh, pretty horrific reasons. There are also ultra safe closed end funds. There are municipal bond funds. There are preferred stock funds. There are a ton of different types of closed end funds. And what they basically do is they attract all this money and put it all together and then invest it in whatever the fund specialty is. However, there's one little difference between a closed-end fund and a mutual fund and an ETF that makes it very attractive. When you buy a mutual fund, it is impossible. It is against the laws of finance and physics. It is absolutely physically impossible to ever buy a mutual fund for less than the mutual fund is worth. Right? If I'm buying $10 into a mutual fund, I'm getting $10 of assets. With ETFs, it's kind of the same thing. It is possible to buy an ETF at a discount, but usually ETFs don't trade for much less than what they're worth. I'd say usually 2% is an extreme discount with ETFs. But with, with closed-end funds, actually, closed-end funds very often will trade on the open market. And remember, you can buy and sell these like stocks. So you can you can buy them and sell them on the same trading day if you want to. These closed-end funds can very often trade at huge discounts to what they're actually worth, 10%, 15%, uh, sometimes even 20%, which means if you spend 80 cents of a closed-end fund, you're actually getting a dollar's worth of assets. And there are a lot of closed-end funds that are trading significantly lower than what they're worth, which is really one of the great things about these funds is that you're essentially buying assets on sale. There are, there are a couple of um, closed-end funds, again, specializing in U.S. stocks that hold things like, you know, the famous fame stocks, Facebook, Apple, Google, uh, Microsoft nowadays. And you're getting all of these really great companies for less than you would get if you bought them, bought the individual stocks on the stock market. All because right. yeah, I've always found that to be an uh, uh, attractive part of the uh, CEF world uh, as well, as you mentioned. I just pulled up uh, Gabelli Dividend and Income Fund. That's one we've written about from time to time. And uh, some of the reason we, we like to kind of reference it is because they own basically good dividend stocks. That's what they do. The irony mm -hmm. is that it's traded at a 10% uh, discount on average to its net asset value over the last three years, which means, as you mentioned, you're buying these stocks for 90 cents on a dollar, and these are not obscure stocks. They just happen to own Wells Fargo, whatever, um, but you're getting it cheaper by going through the uh, closed-end fund, which is uh, kind of ironic in that respect. So you're getting uh, – you, you can get a good deal if you time them well, if you time them when those discount windows uh, are uh, more uh, open, especially than they uh, usually are. So let's talk about the universe then, Michael. How many how many of these things are there? Uh, how many are we looking at with stocks? I think we're we're down before we were before, but we've got about four thousand or so publicly traded stocks. I think that's a joke. The Wilshire five five thousand doesn't have five thousand anymore. How many how many of these CEFs are there out there? Yeah, so the number actually doesn't move all that much because closed-end funds are a pretty small niche. Um, frankly, there are a lot of investors out there who don't know they exist. There are about 600 closed-end funds uh, right now, depending, you know, some are more structured as companies, some are more structured as, as funds, but there are about 600. Um, and I'd say about 100 of them aren't really worth paying attention to. They're too small, they're too illiquid, um, they're about to merge with other funds that that happens quite frequently so really you're looking at about 500 funds that you uh, could theoretically and what I do 
um, all the time, pay attention to uh, pretty much on a regular basis. And when, when you're paying attention to these funds, what you want to look for is, um, you know, I, I was talking about how the funds can trade at a discount. And like the fund you mentioned, there are a lot of funds that will trade at a discount to its net asset value for years. Some have always traded at a discount. So even if you buy that fund at a discount, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to make money. It could stay at the same discount forever. But some funds will go from uh, trading at a huge discount to trading at the net asset value to even trading at a premium. So you know, uh, if a fund has a 5% premium, for example, you have to pay a dollar five to get a dollar's worth of assets. And that's one of the strategies you can take with closed-end funds. In addition to getting that 6.4% average yield or 10% yield in some cases, you're also trading closed-end funds by buying them when they're at a big discount and then selling them when they get to net asset value or to a premium. And that's something that I've been doing personally for years. Right. So what's your strategy in those cases then? So you see a fund, it's at a 10% discount, it's at a 12% discount, it's at a 15% discount. And you're looking at it where you think the yield is safe, plus you're, you're, you're looking at that discount window closing as, as, as upside. So what are, what are you in particular looking for from that fund or from the market in general to be able to close that discount window. So are we talking about, are we looking at, are we looking for buybacks from the fund itself? Are, we, are you banking on broader sentiment turning around there? Is there some sort of combination of factors that you're looking at? What's sort of driving that decision when you look at that window and you say, hey, that window is probably going to close. I'm going to make some money off it while well, it does, but it's going to close soon. That's why I'm going to buy now. Yeah, there are a few metrics that I look at. I think one of the most important is the sort of cyclical indicators within the fund. So the, the way to think about it is a fund will tend to oscillate between trading at a discount to trading at a premium. Um, very often, this has nothing to do with, the, um, with any changes in the fund or the asset class. It can be pure dumb luck. Actually, I've been looking at a couple of um, municipal bond funds one of them, they're both New Jersey specialist municipal bond funds. They're both run by the same management company even. They're, these, these two funds trade in the same stuff and they're managed by the same people. They're almost identical. And both of them have gone up about 5% in 2017. But one of them, has uh, the market price has gone up 4% in 2017 while the net asset value has gone up 5%. And the other one has gone down 8% in 2017 by its market price, while its net asset value has gone up 5%. Those are the kinds of disconnects you want to look for. That, that's that's a, a classic example. And so what you want to do is you want to buy the fund that's market price has gone down 8% this year while its net asset value has gone up, and then wait for the market to realize, what the hell have we done? We've overbought this uh, you know, fund A that's identical to fund B that we've um, underbought, we need to go buy fund B. That happens all the time with closed-end funds. That's one way to do it. Um, one other way to do it is there are some funds, one of my favorite, um, and I know, Brett, you, you've liked this one in the past too, PIMCO Dynamic Income Fund, PDI, back at the um, um, latter half of 2016, was trading at a discount to net asset value which is pretty uncommon for the fund. And then it swung up to a premium. 
Um, and it did that in the span of about three months. So you can find a fund that has suddenly dipped far below its average premium or discount, buy it then, and then wait for it to re revert to the mean. And this is another strategy that works very, very well. Yeah, that's a, that's a great one. I, um, I've noticed you've written about that with the PIMCO funds. I noticed that with the uh, couple of the double line funds wrote about those last year. Jeffrey Gunlash, Bond God dude, he's got, they basically have two close end funds and, and they both have the same mandate. So he can do, he can, he can buy whatever the hell he wants in either one of them. Uh, DBL is one and that trades for a 12% premium to its net asset value while DSL has kind of been the stepchild trading at a discount. So it's interesting because DBL basically traded, they both pay huge dividends. They both pay eight, nine plus percent. DBL basically traded flat as a total return over the last year. Not that it did anything wrong. It still paid its dividends, but it was, it was at such a high premium that the thing, even with the, the big yield, just traded sideways, where DSL did exactly what you look for, where it paid that dividend, it paid that 9 10%, and then also mm -hmm. ran up 20% because that discount window closed. And also, the, actually, the NA, uh, net asset value increased a little bit along the way as well. So I guess one of the reasons, Michael, that I, I find a lot of these opportunities are available is uh, just the size of these funds, where we're mostly looking on the smaller end, right? What, what are the typical sizes of these funds that you're looking at? And then uh, uh, as a follow-up to that, then what types of investors are we looking at? Are we looking at institutions buying these things or really more uh, individual and retail investors? Yeah. So those, those I think, are really key to understanding the closed-end fund world because a lot of these funds are really too small for the big institutional investors to buy. A lot of these funds have a market cap or total um, you know, net assets of less than $200 million. There are a few that are over, let's say 700 million is, would be the cutoff point for the top 100 closed-end funds. And there are a few that are over a billion in size. But the smaller ones are simply too small for um, a lot of institutional investors to get into. There are some specialty institutional investors that do try to buy closed-end funds and then shake them up and affect change. Frankly, they're not very good at it. The city of London, of all, of all places, has been trying to do this. They've been buying up a bunch of closed-end funds in the hopes of shaking up management and squeezing some value, basically making that discount to net asset value disappear. But that hasn't really worked. Another institution that does this quite a bit is Bulldog Investors, but their track record is pretty hit or miss as well. And part of the reason for that is that a lot of closed-end fund momentum is really retail investor-driven. It's, it's one of the rare parts of the stock market left, I think, where inefficiency reigns supreme. One of my favorite examples of this is you'll tend to notice PIMCO's California municipal bond funds trade at huge premiums to net asset value, but their New York and New Jersey funds tend to trade at discounts. You know why? I don't. I'm stuck in those California funds. <laughs> <laughs> they, and the, the, the funny thing is, it really makes you laugh. It's such a stupid reason. It's because PIMCO's based in California. Their sales force, uh, their ability to sell these funds to retail investors is really California-focused. Likewise, BlackRock's East Coast funds, because remember, BlackRock is based on the East Coast, their East Coast funds tend to trade at higher premiums and their California uh, municipal bond funds tend to trade at discount. 
again, because they don't have the sales force there to sell these funds. This is a massively, massively inefficient market. And that's really where one of the big opportunities come for, for investors. That is funny. So where is uh, Nuveen uh, based? You got me, you got me turned on. I actually own that. So I own that uh, Nuveen uh, uh, California fund, NAC for my uh, fellow Californians out here. So it's got a nice uh, yield. And then uh, Michael, as Michael pointed out a few months ago, is actually trading at an even uh, bigger discount. Are they, I always see their signs up at Wrigley. Are they out of the Midwest, Nuveen? They are. They are. They're based in okay. Chicago, um, which, um, it, it, again, it's funny with Nuveen because you've seen instances where you'll get, and one of the reasons why I liked that California fund a while ago, and um, I don't know how much it's up since then, I think like 6 7%, right? But one of the reasons why I liked it is because when you compared that to one of their Pennsylvania funds, both of, both of the fund's net asset values had gone up about the same amount, but one had swung from a huge discount to a premium, and the other one had gone from a small discount to a bigger discount. So obviously you take the one with the bigger discount, and that one's outperformed the one that swung from a premium when I first saw this. And these, these, these kinds of pair trades happen all the time. However, one thing I, I, I always try to um, encourage people to keep in mind is that you can't just choose a, a closed-end fund based on a discount. That's, uh, I think, the biggest mistake that people make with closed-end funds. There are a lot of factors that you have to keep in mind. The, the discount's the starting point. Um, you also need to look at the quality of management. You need to look at the fund's portfolio. You need to look at the fund's mandate. Does it invest in good assets? Is it overextending or overusing leverage? Is it out-earning its dividend? Has its net investment income gone up or gone down significantly lately? Um, is it earning capital gains by churning the portfolio? Um, what is your outlook for that particular asset class, right? Because if you were really bullish on muni bonds in the middle of last year, by the end of the year, you would have been down no matter what fund you chose, whether it was closed-end fund or ETF or whatever. So it's got to be a combination of a lot of things, a sort of macro perspective, a close look at management, a bottom-up look at the portfolio, as well as this kind of cyclical analysis of is the fund trading at a bigger discount than it used to? Uh, is it now trading at a premium? And where is that going to go in the future? Right, right. It, I, absolutely about the quality of the management. One uh, little trick that we, we like to tell our uh, subscribers who write in, and they'll ask about maybe a random CEF that they pulled up. If, uh, for listeners who want a quick way to have a sanity check on management, honestly, past performance in this sector, I found is a very good indicator of those future results. So I know uh, yeah. the stock market, Maybe not so, but here you're looking at a management team and you want them to consider consistently grind out those uh, high single-digit returns uh, year after year. So uh, how they did in the past is a good indicator of that. And what I would encourage you to do, any CEF you're, you're looking at buying, pull up that chart. Uh, just be careful that you're looking at uh, the total return with dividends because you want them to get credit for the dividends. So a lot of times the, the price may decline over time, but your, your total return is going to be up because of those big yields. So pull up that total return and just look at it over any time period. So you can look at it over five, 10. Some of these funds have been around longer. Some of them have 20, 30 year track records. Look at that track record and then it'll show over, over a 30 year period. Uh, have they done well? Some funds have uh, returned 8 9% over the long haul, and they've been uh, uh, paid that dividend and then giving you some a little bit of cap gains to boot. And some funds never make money. They All they do is lose money, and you'll see. And usually they don't have that long track record, but you'll see they might be five years old, 
and all they've done is uh, pissed away investor money for five years. So that's uh, a good quick check is just to see, just plot that total return, just to see what that fund has uh, kind of done over time. So, Michael, let's get into a couple. Uh, I want to get in one of your recent articles here and, and get into a couple of your picks uh, we can share with uh, listeners here. So you recently wrote an article for our site here, very popular one, 9.9% yields every retiree uh, must know. So basically you're making the case that, all right, if, if we really want to retire, what do we need in, t in terms of passive income? And the number you were using was $44,830 a month. So nice little starting point in terms of, I'm sorry, per year. We'd be doing very well if that was per month. Uh, that's what we're breaking out per year and then looking at how we're going to get that. Um, so let's take a look at that because you're looking at funds that are with yields uh, actually starting at that 9.9% mark, so mostly double-digit yielders. So what, what types of funds are we looking at here that are going to give us those, uh, those types of payouts? Yeah, so um, in this article, I look at uh, 10 different funds that have a bunch of different investment strategies. So you've got the Western Asset Mortgage Defined Opportunity Fund um, that focuses on mortgage-backed securities. Uh, you've got uh, the MFS Intermediate High Income Fund, which is intermediate corporate bonds. You've got an MLP fund, you've got a couple of dividend stock funds. So it's really a diversified portfolio across different asset classes. But the most important thing to keep in mind with this is um, what, I, what I call the liquidity of the portfolio. And what I mean by that is you, you need to think about your cash needs when you're looking at retiring or you're looking at actually using this passive income stream. And you want to have a portfolio that is going to provide you enough cash so that you don't have to sell any stock. This is a very, very important consideration that a lot of people, you know, when, when evangelizing about index investing, conveniently forget about. And, you know, people forget about this now because we haven't had a market downturn in about a decade, right? But the fact of the matter is, if you just buy an index fund that yields 2%, and you plan on using seven, eight, nine percent of your portfolio to fund whatever your rent, your food bill, travel, uh, whatever you want to use that money for, you're going to run out of money. And it's something that I talk about in this article, how if a retiree had done the quote unquote right thing and did index investing with a $1.2 million portfolio in 2008, that would have plummeted to, well, less than 700000 in 2009 because they were taking money, they were selling shares while their shares were going down in value. Now, closed-end right. funds... Old, the old uh, reverse dollar cost averaging, right? Your dollar cost exactly. average is you're, you're building your portfolio, you're doing great, you're buying more when, when you're low, and then, mm -hmm. and then if you retire and you're trying to do this uh, 4% withdrawal nonsense or whatever... Whatever you're trying to do, you're doing exactly as you said. You're you're selling more when prices are low, so you're actually destroying your capital faster than you otherwise would. So that's the reverse dollar cost average. Absolutely, what you want to uh, avoid when you're trying to live off of your live off your capital. Yeah, and you know, the, I think the one common thread in a lot of hate mail I get is that, well, you know, why don't I just index the market and wait 30 years? Um, and, um, you know, I'm going to have a huge return. And, yeah, you probably will. But what if you need the money before 30 years? You know, what if your timeline is five years or three years? 
one of the reasons why I got into this is because I was, you know, well, I was a professor and I didn't really like being a professor. And I wanted to find a reliable income stream that could get me enough money that I didn't have to work within five years. Closed-end funds provided that opportunity and actually helped me to, uh, well, leave the workforce early. That's, that's the, the thing about index investing is that, yes, you're going to get a strong return over a long period of time. You can get that too with closed-end funds. And there are plenty of closed-end funds that have crushed the S&P 500 for a decade that we can talk about in a bit. But while you're doing that, you can also get enough cash in hand, cold, hard cash to use to pay your rent, to pay for food, your cable bill, whatever, so that you don't have to do that reverse dollar cost averaging that gets so many people in trouble. And that's a hard thing for people nowadays to understand because, you know, the 2008, 2009 crisis was such, such a long time ago, but I remember it very clearly. And it's something that I, I don't want to have to sell shares in a bear market. I don't ever want to have to face that choice because, you know, as, as I talk about in this article, it kills your net worth. Yeah, with that, so let's get into uh, the most recent article you wrote for our site, which kind of gives you the best of both worlds where you've got some funds that not only perform with the market, but they actually beat the market. So you're looking at 10 funds here that are going to give you not only what that indexing strategy would have given you, but they're going to beat that, but they're also giving it to you in yield. So you've got cash flow now. You're not sacrificing any long-term types of returns. So let's talk about these funds because these are, to me, these are, uh, this is where it's at. These are really you know, special types of management teams and strategies to be able to beat the broader index while still paying uh, these yields because that's not really, I would say, maybe not quote-unquote supposed to happen. You buy, you buy high yields for those dividends now the thought is that you're sacrificing long-term returns. But with, with the, these 10 you're talking about here, you're not sacrificing anything. It's actually, it, it would be superior in every way to just buying that old S&P 500 index fund. So let's talk about what, what, how are these funds able to, able to do that? Yeah, that's, that's uh, so in this article, um, I talk about that there are actually more than 10 funds. There are a lot more than 10 funds that have beat the S&P over the last decade. And there are even more funds that have beaten the S&P over the last three years or five years. The reason why they haven't beat it for longer is because those funds have only been around for three or five years. Uh, there are quite a few new funds in the market that have been absolutely killing it. And there's really no common thread. You know, there's nothing in common. We've got some bond funds. We've got some stock funds here. We find uh, PIMCO is, if, if there's any common thread in these, in these funds, it's PIMCO. PIMCO has an absolutely killer team of investment professionals. Um, I've met quite a few of them professionally, and um, it's, a bit, it's always a very, very intellectually stimulating experience talking to these guys. They really, really know the market very well, and the proof is in their constant outperformance. But it's more than just that. It's also access to market. So, you know, one of the classic things that, you know, when people tout you know, the vast majority of funds don't outperform the S&P 500. There are a lot of flaws in the comparison. The one flaw that I think annoys me the most is that maybe when you look at just U.S. stock funds compared to the index, a lot of them cannot beat the market. 
But there are a lot of funds out there that invest in things that you or I cannot easily invest in. And if we tried to, we would get our asses handed to ourselves, um, frankly. If we tried to buy municipal bonds on the muni bond market, or we tried to get convertible bonds, even if we tried to get a preferred stock, we're not going to have access to the kinds of investment opportunities that are available to a big company like PIMCO because of their relationships, because these are not open exchanges where you can buy and sell in a matter of milliseconds. It's much, much harder to get these assets. And it's those different, more exotic kinds of asset classes that have been beating the S&P 500 for a long time, partly because they're so hard to get into. Yeah, one of my uh, favorites, as you know, in your uh, piece here, and again, a good example of every fund, a little, little different, not only in their strategy, but how they carry it out, QQQX, which sells yeah. covered calls basically on NASDAQ stocks. I was really surprised when I found it and was researching it at the time, it was trading at a discount. This wasn't too long ago. It was only about six months ago. Trading at a pretty big discount to its net asset value. And over its history, it had actually outperformed the NASDAQ itself. So in theory, you buy, you buy the NASDAQ, you want the upside of tech stocks. This fund had, had a safer strategy where they were buying basically NASDAQ stocks, selling covered calls on them, which is supposed, again, supposed to be a conservative strategy where you're, you're taking cash flow now, you're selling call options, which means um, you're, you're, you're trading in some of the upside for some option premiums, so you're collecting cash. That's why the fund was able to pay a, a big dividend. It's coming from that uh, cash that they're collecting with the options. Well, lo and behold, over a long time period, it's outperformed the NASDAQ itself. So it's kind of that best of both worlds where you're able to see, see a fund that uh, it's going to give you that cash flow now, but also those uh, long-term returns. But to your point earlier about discount windows closing, the thing's trading at a premium now. So it's, it's kind of rocketed through. So it's above uh, where I would recommend buying it today. But again, something to keep an eye on as it swings back and forth, like you said. So Michael, let's right. get you out of here on this while we uh, show folks how they can uh, get a hold of you, follow your stuff. So you've got uh, some couple columns a week you're writing for our uh, Contrarian Outlook site. And then we've also got a, a new uh, newsletter uh, for you as well. In fact, the only... Uh, CEF-focused newsletter that at least uh, I'm aware of in the industry, CEF Insider. So uh, can you tell people how to uh, follow your uh, CEF writing on a regular basis? Yeah, I think uh, probably the easiest way is to go to contrarianoutlook.com. Uh, you'll see my articles there. And if you're interested in learning more about CEF Insider, you can click on Premium Newsletters. And uh, I believe it's a link at the bottom of the page. Scroll down and you'll um, you'll see a link there as well. Um, and just to explain a little bit about what we do, we, we try to look for closed-end funds that yield on average about 7 to 8% uh, with the opportunity to get capital gains of about 10% within a year. We launched really just a couple of months ago, and I last I checked yesterday, the portfolio was up an annualized 28%. Yeah, so we're up on average about... 5%. Yeah, um, up about 5% since we launched. So it's doing quite well. And uh, we're going to be making more recommendations in the future. So I hope you check it out. Yeah, it's amazing how it can really uh, snowball where you're getting your big yields and then uh, you get some cap gains on those discount windows closing. Uh, they can close fast as you've as you've picked, as I've seen. And uh, it's uh, 
really an interesting strategy. So, uh, yeah, listeners out there, uh, CEFs, definitely, uh, you know, that little uh, underappreciated sector of the market, um, you can get your cash flow now and you can, you can really do pretty well in terms of total returns as well. So thank you, Michael, for uh, joining us and staying up late with us here in the U.S. Appreciate you uh, uh, having the, uh, the, long, the long night over, uh, over on your side. So we'll let you get out of here and uh, kick things back to uh, Sam and Johnny. But thanks again, Michael. Cool. Thanks, Brett. Thanks, Brett. And thanks, Michael. That was a great interview. I learned a ton from that. What did you think, Sam? And I could listen to those guys talk all day. I love the name CF Professor, and I took so much out of this episode because I really started digging into CFs uh, after I listened, well, a little bit before I listened to it, and then after I listened to it. And man, there's I got a, I, did, I got a lot on this stuff actually. I got a lot on this job. So, so Sam, have you? When was the first time you actually heard about closed end funds? Was it after he he brought up this topic with you? Yeah. So it all kind of happened in quick succession. So we had on. MJ DeMarco about six weeks ago uh, was around the same time that Brett introduced the subject and the topic of the, the episode as closed end funds. And then I was out in Barcelona with a couple of high net wealth individuals, giant couple of guys that you met, and uh, they were also investing in closed end funds. But I didn't have enough knowledge to even carry a conversation or, or ask intelligent questions about it. So it all kind of happened in quick succession. And um, and then after this episode hit, just I've learned a ton about them and have actually started trading them in my own account. Man, you know, I, I wonder how many times we've probably come across things like this that we just didn't know enough about. So we kind of just uh, let, it, let it brush by, we change the subject. And if, you know, kind of just expanding our knowledge of at least, you know, what the definition uh, is of all of these different investment opportunities, we can, you know, we can talk to people who probably are you know, really, really motivated or intelligent in, in these topics, maybe they're really invested in themselves or have made a lot of money from it. We could have had these great conversations, you know, especially, you know, when you're traveling with somebody or you meet somebody over dinner and they're like, oh yeah, you know, uh, I invest in lots of, you know, CEFs. And then you, if you don't know anything about it, you kind of just change the subject to something else when we could have yeah. just really deep dove into it. Yeah. It was funny. So, so Michael lives in Bangkok currently. On the episode, he, he referred to himself as a digital nomad, but he actually is always staying in places for like two years. So I think he's, he's been in Bangkok maybe a year and he's planning on staying another year and a half. So I actually had a chance to go meet with him uh, on my way through. Super smart guy. I got so much out of meeting, like after, as a follow up to the episode and then meeting and talking about this stuff. Oh my gosh, this guy is a smart guy. And I actually, Worked with him, you know, spent like a day uh, or um, sorry, a couple hours with him one afternoon, went over my different investments, got a lot of advice from him and actually started uh, putting into play some of these CEFs, municipal bond funds into my own portfolio. So I, I used the exact strategy that he outlined, found uh, I think right now I have six closed end funds, municipal bond funds that I bought at not only a discount, but a historical discount to their average discount or a discount to their historical discount rather. And I think I've owned them now for about two weeks, but it, they're, they're awesome. Like they're, they're yielding 5% tax free and um, they've all appreciated since I bought them. And I know, you know they, they talked about in the episode how a lot of times these discount windows close quick. And I think that's essentially what's happening on all, all six of the ones I picked up. That is super cool. And I know you've been wanting to buy me some bonds and you didn't really know how. So this is actually perfect. I, I think everything kind of just, fell into place. 
Yeah, it absolutely did. I'm looking forward to chatting with you more about it because I think this is a really, I mean, for me, especially, it's going to be a big asset class going forward. It was something I just didn't know enough about and something I'm still learning a lot about. So we're actually going to have Michael back on probably in a month and we're going to do a, a dedicated episode on municipal bonds as well because that is something that continues to come up and up and up with uh, with all the high net worth people that we talk to. Yeah, I definitely like it a lot. I mean, the one thing that I I didn't hear too many downsides uh, of CEFs, and I even looked it up kind of on my own. What really like? Do you know what the big dif- disadvantages are? What are the downsides of CEFs compared to like let's say an ETF or just in general? Well, the I think the big one would be would be like a management fee. So a lot of the ETFs and index funds that you and I are are buying, uh, what are the it's like ten basis points or twenty basis points max maybe. So these funds are are more like a mutual fund or even like a hedge fund where their the management fees are like 1.5%. So there's that, but of course, you know that that all goes into the overall performance if if the overall performance is there and the historical performance is there then I guess that becomes less relevant. And what else? I mean the, the I guess the thing with with CEFs is like the reason that they're good and and some and also bad is because they're they're actually really inefficient compared to an index fund or you know a high volume ETF. And that's why that's why they can actually trade at a discount to their assets. They're they're capped and they're inefficient. So it's not like the big institutional buyers aren't getting in a lot of these. It's like retail investors and and just like you and I didn't know about it, you know, a month ago, a lot of people out there don't know about it or they've heard about it but they've never actually like purchased a, a CEF. So so I would say, you know, those are probably the two main ones. I would say the management fee is probably probably the worst, and um, and they're they're maybe not quite as liquid. So what like when I bought I one of the municipal bonds I fund, like if you go in and buy like say VTI, which you own, Johnny, if you want to buy 200 shares, you click a button and you you own 200 shares, right? With these, it was funny. It was like I would I place the order and it would buy like 10 shares, and then it would buy like 15 shares at a penny more, and then it would buy like 40 shares at a penny less. So it's just like it's still very liquid, but it's not as liquid, and there there are some um, some uh, inefficiencies in them. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. And I guess when you go to sell, it would be something similar as well. So I, I'm curious, um, did you put in like a just a a normal buy, as in like a market share buy, or did you have a cap on how, how much you wanted to go in and on? So I I screwed this up, but I I kind of got. I wouldn't say I got lucky, but I got off easy. Uh, so the way I always used to place orders when I bought a stock or a fund or anything, I would just go in and open up like my E-Trade account or Vanguard or whatever, and I would just put a buy order and then at market. I thought that's how you always did it. So I've been doing it that way for 10 years. And then I told someone, um, it's like you're basically playing a sucker's game because you're just paying whatever price you know the system wants you to. Uh, so I, I later learned and, and cross-checked it in the boss lounge that the way to do it is you're supposed to go mid-market, which means if the ask price is, say, $20 and the bid price is 1950, you go you go right in the middle. So you do like in that scenario, like 1975. Uh, so I would always do market and it always came out at the higher end. And that's how I, I bought into these CEFs. But the spread was so minimal. It was like two pennies. So it, it really didn't it probably cost me a whopper at the end of the day. But but I learned a lesson in an inexpensive way. Okay. No worries. And who did you buy it through? Uh, I went in through E-Trade. So the funds I bought were like, 
I can leave a list of them in the show notes, but they're like BlackRock and Pimco. They, they're like pretty big names. And yeah, I just went in, went in E-Trade and I bought it. It, what, it didn't happen immediately. Like it took a day for all the shares to get acquired and they came in, in batches. But, uh, but it was all within like a penny. You know, the, the shares were like, say, $15, $15 in some funds, $20 in some funds. And all, all the pricing that I got it at was within like a penny or two. So it, it was really minimal difference in spread. That's super cool. So I'm definitely interested. Uh, please leave a list of it in the show notes and also maybe put, make a post in the boss lounge so, uh, people can kind of discuss the, the, the different funds. Uh, can you kind of walk us through how exactly did, did, did you get this list? Like I, I know you, you sat down with Michael. What did he actually look at to, to figure out what you should buy? So Michael and Brett and these guys, they have their own software. And that's how a lot of these guys get an information advantage that that is obviously proving to work in a lot of ways. And I just told him what I was interested in. So my, Michael's strategy and for the newsletter is really, really smart. But the way that I wanted to buy municipal bonds was I wanted to look at everything with like a five, 10 year window. I want to I want to generate a tax free income stream. I, I basically I want to be able to create a tax-free income stream that I can serve I can live off of right that's kind of my goal with this stuff Long, it's not happening right now but over the course of maybe two years so the way that he would do it is he would take let's say he's looking at all the all the CEFs being traded at once I was only interested in municipal bonds and I was also taking this advice from MJ DeMarco and, and this guy Ben and Robin uh, in Barcelona and their strategy is always the same. Look at something as trading at a dis- historical discount. So that means if the fund's been in play for 10 years and over the course of that 10 years, on average, is trading at, say, a 2% discount to its actual assets. Try to find something that's trading at like a 4, 5, 6, 7% because then it's it's trading at a, a, a discount to its historical discount, which means hopefully it means assuming management it's just there's a correction coming and it's going to rebalance either close to NAV, net asset value, or close uh, close to historical discount. So we came up with a list of 10 uh, that had good fundamentals, good management. They were all municipal bond funds. One thing I will caveat is that um, just because it's a municipal bond fund doesn't mean that it's tax-free. So you really want to take a look at it. Normally, you can just you can quickly look up the, the ticker and it'll be a uh, overview and prospectus and you'll be able to see in the first paragraph if it's generating tax-free income or not. So four of them were not generating majority tax-free income. So I immediately bin those. Um, and then it came down to, I want to hold these funds for five, 10 years. I want to put a decent chunk of money into them. I'm not interested in swing trading them. Uh, so we just took a look and we picked five, uh, I think five funds that look good, had good management, good brands, and that we and and also yields. So the yields kind of swing between four, like low fours, to kind of you know whatever looked good really. But I think most of mine are kind of around four point nine, five point one, some somewhere averaging around five percent. So I can get five percent tax free. That's that's a lot better than a than a five percent um, taxable ordinary income taxable REIT for me personally. So so I'm really looking excited. I'm I'm going to try to do another round of these at the end of next month. You know, I, I like that. I think that's super cool. I mean, I'm excited that you jumped in on it, almost kind of like our uh, investing like boss <laughs> kind of uh, test dummy again. But right. it's you know, it sounds like from, from everything that I've learned from these last couple episodes, it sounds like a smart move. What do you think? Kind of the the possible downsides are. Do, do you think that 
you know, holding on to these funds if there's a, a next big kind of stock crash? Do you think that four or five percent kind of di- yield would would drop, or would that stay the same and the fund would just be worth less? So I want to save a little bit of this for the municipal bond fund because these were all questions that I asked Michael before doing this stuff, and he gave me so much reassurance that like. A, municipal bond funds are extremely safe. Like their default rate is is essentially zero. Who have held individual issues of municipal bonds that have gone belly up. It doesn't mean that they lose all their money, right? Uh, in a lot of ways, that, that bond is collateralized against all different types of assets. So let's say you, you bought an individual municipal bond issue and it went belly up or defaulted, it doesn't mean that you, you're losing 100% of your principal. You might lose 5% or 10%. Uh, Michael, I have a story of one of his, uh, and they lost like 8% or something, but everyone assumed that they lost everything, but they only lost like 8%, which is horrible, of course. But but he gave me a lot of reassurance around the safety of these things, the yield drawdown. I mean, it, it, it sounds really, really good. And the more I look into it, it's really good. So I wanted, I do want to save some of those uh, questions for the municipal bond episode that we're going to have coming up. I like it. I, I'm, I'm excited about that. So really, really cool. Uh, I, I mean, overall, I, I think this episode and this format was just super interesting. So where would, where would these things have a place for you? I, I'm almost thinking specifically like kind of what I'm doing, the municipal bond stuff. So a hundred, let's say you put a hundred grand into it. You also have like things like Pier Street that you're getting maybe eight, nine percent off of and some other things you're getting a much higher yield off of. But then you have to pay tax on that. Do you find this stuff appealing at your current income level or would you or maybe a different area? I think this would be more appealing to me after when I'm close to actual retirement. So when I'm you know in my 50s, I think this is something that I would put a lot more money in when I want to live off of the five percent or so with you know, without as much risk. I think right now, while I'm still young, while I don't have a family, I don't have much debt, I want to invest in riskier things that have a higher upside. So actually, when I was listening to the episode, I wasn't thinking about municipal bonds. I was thinking about, you know, taking advantage of those market swings and seeing, yeah. uh, you know, CEFs that are, are being, you know, are, are being sold at a, at a huge discount that shouldn't be and taking advantage of that because the only time I actually really made a lot of money in the stock market was when my friend told me to buy Facebook stocks because their earnings reports came out and they, it didn't reflect the price of the, of the actual, um, stocks. And he kind of just knew then that it would correct itself and people would start paying what the actual stock was worth. So to me, that's exciting. I, I don't I don't plan on day trading or you know swing trading uh, to try to capture that, but I think I think it is an interesting option to to look into. Yeah, take a look at some of the charts of some of these CEFs, and you'll see you know if you pull up like a ten year chart, you can see kind of where it always trades. Uh, it, it'll go like up and down uh, at a premium or a discount of of net asset value, but always like when it gets always seems to correct. Uh, so it's really interesting. And I think, and I think there's, a, there's still a lot of inefficiencies with, with closed on funds that allow these type of opportunities. But in the future, as these become more and more efficient, then it'll probably kind of normalize. Yeah, I, I think it's smart. I'm, I'm glad that I know the term now. I'm glad we have an alternative to just, just ETFs that potentially have a, a higher upside, maybe has, you know, 
maybe I'm sure it has their downsides as well, like having the higher management fees. But hey, it could be worth it. And I think that's what with Michael and uh, and Brett talk about in in their newsletters and in their on their blog is as long as the management fee is lower than what you're making an extra profit, then why wouldn't you pay it? Yeah, for sure. So guys, we'll leave links to all this in the show notes. There's a lot of stuff that we'll link to, including some of the closed end funds that they recommend. We'll put in some of the ones that I picked up. And um, if there's anyone out there that is investing in closed end funds, please let us know. Share it in the Boss Lounge. Write us at investlikeaboss.com. We'll also leave links to there's a couple great articles that Michael, the CF professor, has written. We'll leave them in there and uh, a link to their CF newsletter at Contrarian Outlook. It's really good stuff, and and make sure you guys take a look for that. Yeah, definitely. So a uh, big thank you to both Brett Owens and Michael Foster for coming on and co-hosting this week's episode. Uh, and thank you to everyone who's been leaving these five-star reviews on iTunes and everywhere else. Uh, this week, I want to say big thank you to Rufus, who said, who actually left a review on my birthday, July 11th. So I'll consider that my birthday present from, from you, Rufus. Thank you for that. Uh, he said, interesting and fun. Five stars. Invest like a boss is one of my new favorite podcasts. It's an interesting look at some alternative investments. I branched out and tried a few different investment opportunities that I heard about on the podcast. I love the transparency that the hosts provide about where they've invested themselves, sharing the winners and losers. So big thank you to Rufus and to everyone else who's either left a a review or you guys plan to, I'll consider it a nice belated birthday present if you want to log on iTunes and leave it there. Uh, also, big thank you to our sponsor, FreshBooks. If you guys have a small business and need a cloud accounting software uh, or just a kind of easy way to expense things and invoice uh, people to make sure you actually get paid, check out freshbooks.com slash invest like a boss and make sure in the how you heard about us section, put down invest like a boss podcast. Thanks again. And I'll see all of you guys next week. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Best Like a Boss podcast. Join our mailing list at investlikeaboss.com to get exclusive access to our insider investment portfolios and our private members forum. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Tell your friends and leave us a review in the iTunes store. It helps more than you know. See you guys next week.